We've been running a, a series called We Need to Talk About, looking at issues like politics and gender. I hope you've been enjoying that. And today, we need to talk about anxiety. Anxiety not just because it's a growing problem in our society, but recently for me, it's become an intensely personal issue. Just a few weeks ago, in September, one of my oldest friends, who I grew up with here in Bristol, took his own life. He went out one evening, leaving his wife and two children, never to return. And it was shocking to me and desperately sad. I've got a photo here. That's me with the slight beer belly in the stripy shirt in the middle. Um, and that's my friend in the blue shirt next to me. And I think it seems even more shocking, someone that you've spent so much time with. We went to school together. We learned to ride our bikes together. Uh, and now he's gone. I don't know what particularly had gone on in his life or what got him to that point, but to decide to take his own life, he must have felt helpless, in utter despair, and terribly alone. These are the things that anxiety can do to us. It can lead to depression. We can lose hope. We can think we just... I don't see how things can get any better and we can get isolated. How do I feel about my friend? I feel sad. Sad that we hadn't kept in closer contact over the years. Sad that we hadn't uh, seen each other more frequently since I'd been back in Bristol. I felt angry, angry about death, that it feels like you know, another life taken and that anxiety and depression can rob people of joy and sometimes lead to them harming themselves. And the statistics are pretty startling. Suicide is the leading cause of death amongst young people aged 20 to 34. That's from the, in the UK. That's from the Office of National Statistics in 2015. In the UK, in 2018, there were over 6,500 reported suicides, of which over 4,900 were men. This isn't just a problem, it's an epidemic and something that we need to talk about. And particularly in the church, we need to be people where we talk about these things. It's estimated that 17% of people experience suicidal thoughts. It may well be much higher than that. Amongst teenagers, rates of anxiety and depression have increased by 70% in the past 25 years. Now, those increases may be due to a reduction in stigma uh, around mental ill health. And that's a good thing if people feel more able to talk about their struggles, but there are also concerning societal trends and cultural shifts which are harming people's mental well-being, 
particularly in our kind of westernized cultures. We're more connected than ever before uh, through technology, through the internet and social media, but we're also more socially isolated than ever. People struggle to relate. People feel lonely. People feel like they don't fit in. But the true impact of all these things is often hard to spot. Physical breakages, you know, if I broke my arm and it was in a sling, I'm easy to spot, aren't I? But emotional and mental brokenness are much harder to see and can take much longer to heal. Yet all of us are affected and probably broken in some way. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about worry and anxiety. And he mentions several things. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you wear. We can be anxious about so many things, about work, relationships, or money. There isn't an area of life that's immune to anxiety, is there? But Jesus says in verse 25, do not worry. Why? Because God cares and provides for his creation, for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. But he says in verse 27, we're so much more valuable to him. If there's one thing that you remember from what I say today is this, God cares for you. Verse 32 says, he knows what we need. And all we need to do, verse 33 says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And actually, he says in verse 27, worrying doesn't help anything. Each day has enough challenges without worrying about tomorrow as well. This feels particularly relevant as we're in this prolonged season of uncertainty. Has it been three, three and a half years over Brexit? And still we're in uncertainty. Who's going to win this election? And what's going to happen with Brexit? Jesus speaks to us and says, don't worry. And that is so helpful in the normal cares of life. But what about when anxiety becomes more overwhelming? You may have noticed I'm not an expert in mental health. That's why I've got Julia and Clary here with me. And I don't claim to be any kind of authority. There's also no way in the short time that we've got today that I can possibly do justice to this vast subject. But what I do hope is that today... As a church, we can start a conversation that could be helpful to you if you're struggling in some way with anxiety or related issues, or if you're trying to support someone else who is struggling. So let's start by looking at something of the difference between fear and anxiety. Anxiety is all the thoughts and feelings that we experience of expecting things to go wrong. 
you know, you think thoughts like, what if that bad thing happens? It can be low level, you know, nothing major, and it may or may not be rational. So let me give you a silly example. When I was learning to swim, when I was growing up, I had thoughts like, I wonder whether there is a great white shark in this swimming pool. Uh, not very rational, but it was an anxiety in my mind, probably because of some film that I may have watched. The definition of anxiety is apprehensive uneasiness or nervousness, usually over an impending or anticipated ill. Or how about the medical definition? An abnormal and overwhelming sense of apprehension and fear, often marked by physical signs, such as tension, sweating, and increased pulse rate, by doubt concerning the reality and nature of the threat, and by self-doubt about your own ability to cope with it. Fear is a little bit different. Fear is an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Fear is when you're actually confronted with the reality of danger. It's like I'm out swimming in the Atlantic and a real shark turns up. That's, that's when a natural fear response kicks in and that's actually part of how we're wired. It's our survival instinct to preserve your life. Fear is actually often healthy. Fear means when we cross the road, you know, and I, some of you will be aware of Andy Cottingham's driving, you know, fear is a good thing because if he's coming down the road, I just need to wait. Fear helps me to wait when the danger has passed. I'll stop, I'll stop teasing Andy. Then, then I can cross. So uh, fear is often healthy. Anxiety is usually unhealthy and can be like a constant drip in our lives, like a tap that's turned on and it's constantly running. We have a steady flow of doubts and anxieties that normally, in normal life, we can process and deal with. We process negative emotions through our dreams, you know, so I can dream about Man United getting relegated, and that's okay. We, we can work out tension through physical exercise, and we can process anxiety by talking to other people. It becomes a problem, though, if that flow of anxiety increases or if our ability to process out that anxiety gets blocked. You know what it's like. You're busy at work. There's a big deadline coming. Then your kids are unwell. You haven't had a date night for weeks. The car breaks down, and you don't know how you're going to pay for it. And then the dog dies. Ah, oh, poor little Fido. Um, when it all feels like too much, it's like a bath that starts to overflow. Anxiety can start to flood our lives and cause other problems. If you've ever, ever had a leak in your bathroom, you know if, that, if you don't stop that quick, there are major problems. There's ceilings coming down. There's all kinds of catastrophes. And often, we don't see it coming. It takes us 
by surprise. There are so many cares and worries that we deal with every day. Oh, what do they think of me? Will they reject me? Can I do this? Am I good enough? Fear of missing out, fear of failure, fear of the future and the unknown. If you're a parent, we love our children, don't we? That's probably why we worry about them so much. All these anxieties get layered on top of one another until it becomes overwhelming or even incapacitating. We can even start worrying about worrying too much. And because we're a whole person, mind, body, emotions, and spirit, anxiety can manifest or pop up in different ways, in an inability to focus, lack of sleep, not taking pleasure in things, or feeling hopeless or helpless, or even not feeling anything at all. Stress is defined as a physical, chemical, or emotional factor that causes bodily or mental tension and may be a factor in causing other challenges. The times where I've been most stressed and anxious have been related to work. And the combination of workload and challenges with difficult people. Now, I know you can't relate to that because you don't have any difficult people in your life, you know, in your family, in your workplace, anything like that. But I've had some. I, I'm, just, I'm just being honest. And I'm particularly susceptible to overwork because I'm, res I'm responsibility-wired. So even if I, I'm somewhere and I'm not responsible for anything, I feel responsible for everything. It, it's the cross I bear. Um, I had a time where I felt so overworked and overwhelmed that I felt like my life was one-dimensional. All I existed to do was to fulfill a work function. I didn't have time to uh, sp spend time with friends, to uh, rest, or have any kind of fun. Another time, early on in my time in Bristol, um, uh, stress manif uh, manifested in severe back pain. Now, I had a physical injury in my lower back, but there is no doubt it was made much, much worse by the stress I was under, uh, caused by uh, pressure and workload. Short bursts of stress are good for you. They keep you alert, motivated, and primed to respond to danger. Sustained or chronic stress, however, lead to elevated hormones such as cortisol, which is called the stress hormone. I'm now talking in the territory of which I know nothing about. Um, so we'll, we'll just go here for a moment. Uh, reduced serotonin and other neurotransmitters in the brain, including dopamine, which has been linked to depression. Okay, let's come back to normal language that I understand. When these chemical systems are working normally, they regulate biological processes like sleep, appetite, energy, and sex drive, and permit expression of normal moods and emotions. But sustained stress can lead to anxiety and depression, 
where those normal rhythms are disrupted. This can be exacerbated or made worse by unhealthy coping mechanisms, what Christians would call sin. Typical behavior might be escapism through drinking too much alcohol or taking drugs, looking at pornography or indulging fantasy thought life. I can't deal with my real world, so I'm just going to live in this fantasy world. That kind of behavior and unreality doesn't deal with the root issues. In fact, it ignores them. It isolates you from other people, and sinful behavior only creates more stress through guilt, shame, and potential harm to people around you. Now, if you're struggling with anxiety or struggling in any of those ways I've just mentioned, I'm not trying to make you feel condemned. But I do want us to be honest and say what you probably already know, that those things, those coping mechanisms, aren't the answer. And quite likely, they're only making things worse. Sometimes we stay silent, we hide because we feel ashamed. But shame is actually a trap. Talking helps break the power of guilt and shame that isolates us and makes us feel like we're the, I'm the only one, I'm the only one that struggles with this. No one else will understand. The enemy wants to isolate you and pick you off. That's what I think happened to my friend who took his own life. Whatever was going on in life, the things that he was struggling with, he stopped talking to people and got to a point of such despair that he felt like he couldn't carry on. Scott was here last week. If you heard Scott Marks last week, he was talking about the fact that we're in a battle. We are. We're in a battle that's real. We have an enemy who wants to isolate us and take us out. And that's not just Christians. That is everyone. Whether we realize it or not, we're in a battle. And we will all struggle at different times, to differing degrees, in differing ways. I've had my own struggles with anxiety, with sinful behavior, and we just need to be honest about that and create an environment where it's okay to speak it out. It, uh, Patrick Regan, if you've heard of him, uses the phrase, it's okay to not be okay. That is a very, very helpful phrase. Now, I realize you're probably all feeling depressed and anxious because of all the things I've just said. So, in my remaining time, I want to lift our eyes not to what we need to do, but to what God has already done for us. Probably all anxiety and worry can be traced back to the things that are most precious to us, and in particular, our lives. And the greatest fear or anxiety can be around the fear of death, death that came about because of our rebellion against God. Yet God sent his son, Jesus, to deal with our greatest enemies, sin and death, once and for all. 
Jesus was arrested, mocked, and beaten, even though he'd lived a perfect, sinless life. He was crucified on the cross and died. The Bible tells us that the sin of the world was placed on him at the cross, but he was raised to life after three days, conquering sin and death, so that those who believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life with him forever, as it says in John chapter 3. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible, rather than telling us to hide away and suppress our feelings and just try and struggle through, it actually encourages an honesty and an authenticity in expressing how we feel and bringing that to him. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Prayer is one of the best ways that we bring our cares and anxieties to him. We bring our worries and our concerns to Jesus and say, please take these because they're too much for me. Talking to God doesn't necessarily mean that all anxiety disappears, but we have the best person that we can take it to, someone who is with us in it, who has suffered himself and can sympathize with everything that we're going through and who cares for us. In Luke chapter, 10, uh, Luke chapter 11, sorry, there's a story about two sisters, Mary and Martha. I don't know about you, I always get them confused. Which, which, which is the one that does what? Mary and Martha. They had Jesus to stay with them, and it's Martha who's rushing around. It's, it's like she's in Christmas preparation mode. She's rushing around, getting everything ready, getting the food sorted, um, and Mary is just sat at Jesus' feet listening to him. And Martha, who's been rushing around, says, um, Jesus, can you tell her to help me? Don't you care that I've been left to do all the work? And look at Jesus' response. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus doesn't ask you to do lots of things. He simply invites you to be with him. That's the one thing Jesus is talking about, being with him. And sometimes when things are so hard, so overwhelming, all you can do all you can manage is to sit in his presence. That's enough because he cares for you, because he's with you, and he can give you peace. Being a Christian doesn't mean that everything always gets sorted in this life. But Jesus promises to be with you, that he will never leave you or forsake you. And we have a hope in Christ Jesus, that death isn't the end because he's secured 
our future in heaven where there'll be no pain or suffering. If you put your trust in Jesus, though we may suffer in this life, there will come a day in heaven, as it says in Revelation 21 verse 4, he will wipe every tear from your eye. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That's the hope we have. It's a hope that can sustain us in the darkest times if you've put your trust in Jesus. Now, in a moment, Julia and Clary are going to join me and they're going to give us some practical advice. They're going to correct all the things that I've said that are wrong. Um, It's going to be much more helpful. Um, But let me just say this, a pastoral comment just to close. Don't stay silent. Talking can help us process our anxiety in a healthy way. There are two really obvious ways that you can do that. Firstly, we can talk to God in prayer. I love Psalm 130. Verse 1 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Even if you're feeling hopeless and alone and not sure what to do, you can cry out to God. We all will deal with anxiety at different times in our lives. But secondly, don't suffer alone. Talk to someone. You can speak to a friend or your connect group leader or one of the pastors or one of the site team. And for those of us where anxiety becomes overwhelming and more serious and more sustained, in those situations you need to get help. Go and see your GP or come and see our pastoral care team. Julie and Clary are part of that. Um, But don't suffer in silence. Come to God and talk to other people as well. Okay, can we welcome Julia and Clary as they come and answer questions? Now, uh, before we get into some questions, um, you've heard what I've had to say. Um, Is there anything that you'd like to add uh, to what I've said? Um, Ben, I think just to start off by noting how utterly human it is to experience anxiety and worry, Mm. as sort of evidenced in all these passages that you've shared Mm. with us, but also how human it is to want to hide that, to kind of put our vulnerability behind our back and to, in that, feel a sense of being on our own and isolated. In fact, I was just thinking that in this week, I was at a training event with a room full of psychologists, and at some stage, we had to talk about our own doubts. And, you know, slightly horrifyingly, there was a group of psychologists who really doubted their ability to do good work, who were really anxious when they sat with their clients in the room. So, you know... And, and maybe there's also a sense in church family to feel as if somehow struggling with these things is a lack of faith. And I'd say feeling anxious, feeling worried is how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And part of God's gift to us is giving us church family where we can be knitted together, where we can share life, where we can come alongside each other um, in, in our vulnerability, where we can kind of be that sense of being naked and unashamed with each other in all our vulnerability. That's brilliant. So I really loved when you talked about starting a conversation because I think that's where we can each step towards starting a conversation about the things that worry us. So I want to just flag up. I have teenagers, <laughs> parents out there. You know, I feel I want to say to you, I'm worried sometimes about the choices they're making. And I would love your wisdom, your support, your prayers and how to negotiate this sort of very difficult time of life. Yeah. Clary, anything you'd want to add? No, carry on. <laughs> That's great. Um, let's start simply. Um, help us understand what, what yeah, we all deal with stress in our lives, but at what point does stress become unhelpful? Or what, what are like the warning signs, you know, like when the oil light comes on on your dash, car dashboard? What are some of the warning signs that stress is becoming a, a, a more uh, serious thing in our lives? Um, uh, now, this is part for me to share my vulnerability. I signed off work this week with stress. So I know, I know precisely what this one looks like. Um, and I think going, you know your image of the bath that you have mm. where it overflows. I think we, we all have a capacity for stress. And you can imagine your own bath and your own little markers up the side. And things come in and they fill up your stress tub. And then when it gets to overflowing, um, it can look like a number of things. One big thing is the stress overflows from the area of life you're stressed in. So I was stressed at work. That was my stressful area. But what was happening was it was overflowing into my family life. I didn't have the capacity to talk to my children. I didn't want to talk to my husband. I didn't want to do, do anything else. And I was feeling stressed at home, even though really the stress belonged in work. And obviously it can be the other way around. Um, another sign for me is excess emotionality. None of my friends will be surprised to know that I cry when I get stressed. You know, if I'm turning up at work and I'm crying, there, there's a pretty good sign there that my stress <laughs> bath has overflowed and I'm not coping so well. So knowing what you're like, knowing your own stress levels and noticing when you start to spill over the top, either in the way that you're reacting emotionally or that you're reacting in other situations which aren't the ones causing the stress, but they're the people getting the stress, that can be a really good indicator. That might be a time you need to go and, and just get some support and get some help with it. Um, and can you make any comments between, uh, you know, there are times when we all have when we feel low and, and maybe feel a bit depressed, but at what point does that tip over into what, the, you know, I've, I've heard the term clinical depression, but I'm not always sure what the difference is between I'm depressed or am I clinically depressed. Okay, so I think probably three things. I think the first is intensity. Mm -hmm. So I'm feeling low, depressed, normal human emotion, but sometimes that can become more intense in its um, uh, feeling. Um, persistence, if it's going on and on for yeah. weeks and months, possibly way beyond the event that might have triggered it. And then there's something about impact. If, again, it's starting to get in the way of your being able to live your everyday life, 
then it's probably nudging into the area where it might be a sort of clinically significant depression. Yeah. I just also wanted to say something that I've certainly found true when I work with people who are depressed, that often an emotional marker of clinical depression is not feeling low, it's feeling nothing. So anybody who has that experience of just feeling numb, as if they're not feeling at all, or if you know of people who have that quality to their emotional experience, that can be a real indicator that people are feeling depressed. Yes. And then maybe the other thing to say is that clinical depression is not just about a type of um, emotional shift, it's also about changes in, in your body. So you might have disrupted sleep, you might have disrupted appetites, mm. changes in your thinking, you might struggle to concentrate, your memory won't be so good, and changes in your behavior as well. Yeah. So it's a sort of complex of different sort of features beyond yeah. just feeling low. Mm. Um, and just can you help us by making a comment on um, at what point medication is helpful and your view of, you know, there can be a stigma around, first of all, admitting to struggling with anxiety or mental health issues, but there can also be a, a thing amongst Christians in terms of, oh, no, you don't need medication, you just need prayer. Could you... Could you make some comments on that? Well, I'm quite happy to tell you all that at a period in my life, I took sertraline for a few months, and it was brilliant. And I, I'm really glad I did. So <laughs> if that's been diagnosed for you. So I'd say, firstly, it's a conversation you want to have with your GP. Mm. If you are noticing that you're having these symptoms, like Julia said, get to your GP. It's a conversation you want to have with them. They'll be able to help you think about it. Um, there are side effects, particularly at the beginning when you take them, and we're also not very good yet at knowing which medication is the best for which person. So sometimes the first one you take isn't the right one. Those are things you need to talk about with your GP and try them out. Um, I think medication isn't the only thing that can help. We know talking therapies is as effective as medication. We, again, don't know yet why some people respond better to talking therapies, some people respond better to medication, some people respond better to the combination of both. We're not very good yet at knowing why. So again, have that conversation and, and just try and see what works for you is really the only, the only way we can do it. Um, and I think particularly if you're feeling so depressed the thought of getting to your GP, or the thought of getting therapy, or the thought of getting out of bed in the morning, you're struggling with that. Sometimes medication can be really helpful in lifting your mood enough to help you then start taking that next step of mm. getting some more support in as well. So particularly if the depression's got quite severe, that might be a really good time to, to consider taking some medication. That's brilliant. We're running out of time. I'm going to move us on. Um, we had a particular question in advance, which was around what's, what's the difference, or how do we understand the difference between um, someone who is suicidal, where a person is, is in danger of actually harming themselves, and someone just struggling so much in a particular situation that they just there's that feeling of if I if I was no longer here then I just wouldn't have to deal with this anymore and the kind of supplemental is that to that is sometimes in the media it those two things are confused in terms of how they're talked about so firstly it's 
in my line of work, I talk to people with anxiety and depression every day. It is really, really normal for me to hear people say things like, I don't, I don't want to live anymore. I, I, life's not worth it. I can't carry on. I, you know, if there was a button I could press and I would just be gone, I'd be gone. If I didn't wake up tomorrow, that would be fine. That's actually quite a normal thing. I think we saw 17% of people have suicidal ideation. We hear that a lot. We see it in the Bible. We see it with Elijah. We see mm -hmm. it with Jeremiah. We see all these people who ex experience that feeling of, I don't want to be alive anymore. And they talked about it. And we know they did because someone wrote it down, didn't they? So it, it, you know, it's not to be scared of to talk about these things. I think what I'd be looking out for as a professional when things are getting more severe is when people are starting to make plans. They know what they're going to do. And they start to take actions. So they might start you know, stockpiling. Um, you know, they're starting to, put, to do things towards mm. this aim. They're starting to say there's an intention. This is something I'm looking to do. This is something I want to do. And when they start to lose what we call the protective factors. So lots of people think, oh, life just isn't worth living. But of course, I would never do that because of my mum or my dog or my friends or God or anything else. So when we get really concerned as professionals, it's when those things start to go away. Um, and at any point on this line, whether your thoughts are, I just can't carry on today because it's so hard and life doesn't seem worth it, or whether you're at a much more severe end, we would say absolutely get help. Go, go now, go to your GP, mm. tell someone, because telling someone will help you. And if somebody tells you, okay, don't get panicked. It's a good thing they've told you. It's better to talk about it because once you start talking about it, you can start doing positive things about it. And last question, if, if people are here and they're supporting someone else who's struggling with anxiety, have you, have you got any comments about things that we can do that would be particularly helpful? So I always think of two things. Um, I think that my one foot needs to be in the empathy camp in really just hearing, coming alongside um, how this person is feeling, listening, being a sounding board so that they can also hear back what it is that they're thinking and feeling. But my other foot needs to be in an action camp. So it's the sense of I really hear how difficult things are for you. Let's also think about what the options might be. And I say those that you've, what you don't want to do is quickly move into action or trying to fix. But I think bearing in mind those two things, and if in any doubt, stick in the empathy camp. Yes. Listen, reflect back, and listen more. Brilliant. And lastly, if people feel like they need help or, or they need to take a next step, what are some of the things that they could do from today? So on the professional side of things, if you feel like you need some extra support, A, your GP, they're a brilliant resource. The second thing is here in Bristol, it's a company called Vita Minds who provide all of the talking therapies. You can now sign yourself up online. It's just a simple form on their website. You can fill it in yourself or you can give them a call. They've got courses running in treating anxiety and treating depression with no waiting list. You can literally just book yourself on, get a course, learn something about it and get some really helpful ways out of where you're at. So kind of on the professional mm. side, those are the things I'd recommend. Um, closer to home, just a quick plug that Clary and I are hoping to do, run two groups in the new year. 
The one will be for those of you who are wanting to be just a little bit more skillful in your supporting of other people who are struggling. So we'll be offering you a course in which you can think a little bit about what that looks like and have a go at practicing, sort of offering sort of biblically-based um, counseling and one-anothering to people. And then we also, alongside that, hoping to run a group for people who are feeling stuck and overwhelmed and who need a little bit more support than is able to be provided by their usual Connect group. Mm. Brilliant. And we would also really value assistance. If anybody wants to be involved in either of those two groups, come and let us know. Brilliant. Can we thank these guys? Okay, uh, let's stand together. Uh, I'm just going to pray uh, to finish off, but um, I realize it's one of those Sundays where it, it, it's, it's not necessarily something that you want to uh, respond to right in this moment if you're struggling, but I really, I just underline what I said earlier, that um, don't struggle alone, talk to someone uh, confide in someone that you feel you can trust. Um, speak to a connect group leader. Speak to some of the pastoral care team, Stephen, Claire, Andy, Julia and Clary and others. Um, get help. Uh, don't struggle alone. Let, let's just pray together to close. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you made each one of us. Thank you that you know us through and through. You know our cares, our anxieties. You know our stories. You know our deepest hurts, our darkest secrets. And you look at us with eyes of love and compassion. Thank you that there's mercy and forgiveness available in you. And I pray for those who are struggling the most at the moment, who have done remarkably well to even be here today. Jesus, draw near to them with your presence. Come and bring your peace and comfort. And Lord, let us be a community, a family of love and acceptance, encouragement and help. Lord, I pray as we seek to reach more and more people, and we will touch more and more brokenness across this city. Help us to be a place of safety, of care, where people can find healing and wholeness in you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.